the title of this message is From Fear to Faith, The Perfect Love of God. So I shared uh, a couple weeks ago a message from Fear to Faith. It was about exposing fear. And um, an integral part of moving from fear to faith is the love of God. The pathway from fear to faith is the perfect love of God. We know by the scriptures that it's his perfect love that casts out all fear. And that we're called to live a life full of faith for the righteous live not by sight but by faith. Everything that we do not do from faith is sin, Romans 14 says. So this is um, a pivotal, I believe, message. I believe that... uh, I believe there's a fresh anointing this morning to encounter the love of God. I believe that there is something this morning that the Lord wants to do deep in our hearts that will free us from so much trash, from so much shame, from pride, from fear, from self-contempt. I can tell you from my own life and my own journey in God that the greatest revelation that has shifted and changed and transformed my heart is the fatherhood of God and his love for me. That my, my father in heaven loves me. It breaks off shame. It breaks off fear. And in order to live a life of faith, we have to have a foundation of the love of God. We don't move from fear to faith by just having more faith. The love of God. We have to encounter the love of God because in the love of God, that's where intimacy is found. That's where connection and face-to-face interaction with our Heavenly Father happens. And I believe that in order to live a life full of faith, that the extent that we believe in God's goodness and in His love is the extent that we will have faith in Him. In other words, if I don't believe that my Father is good... Why would I believe and trust in his word or what he says? If I don't believe that his character and his nature is holy and loving and that he has my best intention in mind, why would I live a a life full of faith when he's asking me to do something that is actually in the face of all of my fears? Because the reality is a lot of times the thing that God calls us to, to walk in faith of are the very areas of our life that we're most afraid, I believe. God asks us to venture out into the unknown. God asks us to do the impossible, right? For all things, uh, with God, all things are possible, right? He asks, he says, by faith, we can move mountains. But if we're consumed with the fear of failure, how are we going to walk in faith in the impossible? How are we going to walk and trust that God is going to move the mountain, that God is going to bring the paycheck, that God is going to provide the car? That God is going to bring the healing. Amen. That God is going to heal our brokenness and our shame. We have to have a fresh revelation of the love of God in our lives. We have to encounter his love and his goodness toward us and able to actually believe fully to, uh, to, to live life recklessly and unabandoned for him. Biblical is radical, my friends, and radical is biblical. You know, the, the wet blanket brethren, as we, call, as we call them, is like, hey, that's too radical, brother. That's too much. Well, you know what is radical to me is the world being created by, by God speaking everything into existence. All the stars, the sun, the moon, the universes, the mil- you look out and you see everything. The ocean that is, by the way, only 80% explored by scientists. The human mind and the human body that is still a mystery to much of the world of science. Can I get an amen, right, brother? You're a scientist. And so, no, but seriously, it's it's like biblical is radical. We believe that, that God created everything from nothing. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that literally it says that Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that God became flesh and that he was the, 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 the hypostatic union of Christ, fully God, fully man, the Trinity, all of these things in our lives that are like our minds will never understand because we're not God. 
And yet when God asks us to give maybe a little more than we thought, it's like in my heart, you know, in my life, in my journey of giving, it's like, you know, there's been times where fears come over me. It's like, I can't, I can't do that. It's like, but God's like, how are you going to trust me for the works of power? How are you going to trust me for the signs, wonders, and miracles when you don't even believe that I love you? When you don't even believe in my goodness, you don't even believe in my father heart towards you that I'm going to give you potable water, that I'm going to give you your daily bread. So I'm not saying that we're moving on to bigger, better, greater signs, wonders, and miracles. I'm just saying, like, in order for a foundation to be laid, like, we need to have an understanding of the goodness and the love of God in our lives. Amen? And listen, I think that if I'm being completely honest, I believe, and I, I say this in tenderness, I don't say this in accusation or criticism, because it's true of, of me in my own life, is I believe that as the body of Christ, I believe that we're weak in love. I believe we're weak in love and our ability to receive love from our Heavenly Father. I believe we're, we're weak in our reciprocation of love to Him. I believe we're weak in our love to one another. But God is greater than our weakness. And we can grow in love. Amen. And the reason I believe that I feel like I can make this claim is because Ephesians 3 says that by knowing his love will be filled up to all the fullness of God. When I look in the body of Christ, when I examine my own life, it's like, man, I don't think I've arrived at the fullness yet. I don't think that the, the, the body of Christ uh, uh, corporately, globally, has arrived to the fullness and so I believe that, honestly, I believe that we have become bored with the love of God. I believe that it's something that we hear about. We're like, oh, yeah, God loves me. I know. We yawn and we move on. And it's like, yeah, I got that one. It's like, can I tell you that if God's love is like the ocean and God's in the ocean is 80% unexplored, and God, and God in his love is infinitely greater than even the created ocean. We are to never stop exploring. We are to never stop growing. We are to never stop receiving. I think that actually in the body of Christ, there's an element almost of fear over the love of God. Like in the sense of because in the, the, the culture of the world has perverted love. The world has perverted love. It's influenced the body of Christ. And we've associated love with enabling and tolerance of lawlessness. But that's not the true love of God. Any expression of the love of God that doesn't lead to greater consecration isn't the true love of God. Any revelation of the love of God that doesn't lead to greater devotion and purity any, any revelation of the love of God that, that allows us to remain in our dysfunction isn't a true revelation. Any revelation of, of love that doesn't lead to greater transformation, greater humility, greater security isn't a, true love, isn't a true revelation of the love of God, I believe. So I believe that our culture has perverted love. And in a sense of, of perverted love, I believe that because love is perverted, I believe there's almost like this hesitancy to, to preach and share on the love of God. And I've had to wrestle through this with myself because sometimes I think that in certain uh, areas of the body of Christ, the love of God has become a license to stay. Oh, God loves me. He just, he's so in love with every part of me. And it's like, yes, he does love us. And yet acceptance doesn't always equal approval. In other words, I love my daughter Lydia and my son Levi. I accept them, but I don't approve when my daughter hits my son. I don't approve of his actions when he's throwing a temper tantrum. It doesn't mean I don't love him. And the perverted love that I believe has entered and influenced the body of Christ is love that just enables and tolerates and ignores that. And it becomes a license. And because the love of God in some areas of the body of Christ has become a license to stay the same and to not deal with our dysfunction and our orphan heart and our rebellion and our arrogance toward God, I believe that in some circles it's, become, it's, it's been seen as a liability. But any, again, but that's not the true revelation of God's love. A, a true revelation of God's love, I would believe, I believe would actually bring accusation from people to say, you know what, you're just being legalistic. You're just being religious. 
what do you mean? You don't have to do all of that. But it's not from a place of duty. It's from a place of love sickness. People who are in touch with their, with their, uh, uh, their brokenness, right? Jesus said, he who is forgiven much loves much. And so people, when we have a true revelation of our, of our brokenness and our fallenness apart from God, and, and, we, and we receive him and his love, it, it, there's nothing else it can do but to lead to greater humility. Again, in my own life and in my own journey, I, I have struggled so much in my life, even as a believer, with deep levels of shame and self-contempt. I think that part of our problem, and, and this is just from my own journey, the Lord revealing these things to me, but I think part of our problem is, is that we know the right answers that God loves me. I know it in, in, in concept, in, in fact, but I actually don't view myself as lovable, and I actually don't know how to receive love. I actually don't know how to cultivate a relationship of, of depth with him. And so, I, and so in my life is like we, we, we believe the narrative of our shame and believe the narrative of our fear. And because we believe that when we hear that God loves me, this is my story. When I, believe, when I would hear God loves me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, but, right? It's like God loves us, yeah, but I'm X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, God loves you. And God wants to heal the places of our shame with his love. I'm telling you, I used to curse myself in the mirror. I used to hate myself. And actually what happens, I believe, in the orphan heart, when we're so consumed with shame and self-contempt, what happens is, is we believe lies for so long that those lies actually become, quote, unquote, our truth. And that when we hear the truth of God's word, it actually sounds like a lie to us. I was in a deep season of struggle and deep season of pruning and wilderness and pain before the Lord, and I was struggling with my identity in Christ. I was struggling with, God, I know you've called me to preach and teach your word, but I don't see the grace on my life. I don't want to do this. I'm not qualified. I suck, yada, 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 all the excuses. And he's like, no, son, I've, I've called. And so I actually forfeited things because I didn't agree with what he called me to. And in this season of pruning, he was trying to deepen love in my life. He was trying to take me to a place of, no, you're secure in me. You, 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 can, you can do everything I've called you to do because of who I have made you to be. You're my son. A, a, a passage that I take great heart in is Acts chapter 4. And it's uh, Peter and John, and they're refuting the religious, and, they're, and, Peter's, and Peter's responding to them. And the religious and the crowd's response to Peter and John is that when they recognized with what confidence they spoke, they realized, and, and they recognized that Peter and John were both untrained and uneducated men that they realized and recognized that they had been with Jesus. In other words, when we spend intimate time face-to-face -face with Jesus, that's the qualification. You know, Bible degrees, I, I don't have one. I'm throwing myself under the bus here this morning, but I don't care. We don't need more Bible degrees. We don't need more knowledge. We need, we need more encounter. We need more experience. We need more presence. We need more Holy Spirit. We need more Bible. We need more prayer. We need more fasting we, because we need more of Him. Jesus. So we can only have faith to the extent that we believe in the goodness of God and the love of God. If I don't believe he's good, why would I walk in faith in the impossible, in the unknown, in the unseen? Why, why would I? If, if I believe my father is not for me and he's against me, why would I take a jump off the cliff if I don't think he's going to catch me? Why would I do it? We have to be anchored in the goodness of the heart of the father and his love for us. So what's the big deal about his love? 
I mean, again, I like, I feel like by the spirit, I, I, like when we talk about the love of God, it's like this thing that's become cliche. It's this thing. It's like, yeah, I already know that. Let's get on to signs, wonders, miracles, works of power, casting out demons. And I, and I love all of that stuff. I want and desire all of that stuff. But the truth is, is that if we're not anchored in the love of God, none of that stuff matters. And I want to show you by the scriptures. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? These are the implications of without love. If we do not have the love of God. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, the love of God has to be our foundation. Verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What is that? What is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal? That's obnoxious. Without the love of God, number one, we are obnoxious. It doesn't matter. We're just like a bunch of spirit-filled wackos walking around like, you know, what's happening here? Listen, I love tongues. I pray in tongues every day. I've given corporate tongues, and I've interpreted corporate tongues. I love tongues. <laughs> Seriously, sometimes I feel like Paul, and I'm like, man, I wish you would all pray in tongues more. I, like, I want to I pray in tongues more. Sometimes I feel like it's like a, a holy cheat code almost. Like, get out of my mind. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to think. It's like, just start praying in tongues. It's amazing. It's a gift. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Without love, we are obnoxious. We are obnoxious. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, and all knowledge. And if I have all faith. So we're talking about from fear to faith. What happens if we have all the faith in the world, but not love? But if I do not have love, I am, what does it say? Nothing. Without the love of God, we're nothing. Even in the midst of powerful prophecy. Even in the midst of wonder working faith. We're nothing without the love of God. Verse 3, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Number three, without love, we're broke. We're talking about martyrdom. We're talking about giving away all of our possessions to feed the poor. Like that's some pretty big sacrifice. That's some pretty intense spiritual stuff, right? And yet if we don't, if we don't have the motivation of love to do it, what does it say? We're, we're broke. It doesn't count. It's not worth anything. It profits us nothing. Amen? And listen, I just want to reiterate my passion for the gifts. This is not a knock on the gifts. This is actually a setting in order of a correct order of operations, if you will. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Pursue, pursue love, yet desire eagerly spiritual gifts. So it's, I'm not knocking spiritual gifts. I, listen, I desire to see a move of God in this region like we've never seen before. I desire to see legs grow out. I desire, I desire to see the dead raised. I desi desire to see everyone in this building prophesy. I desire to see everyone in this building healing come through our hands. I desire to see revival. I desire to see uh, this city, uh, the bars shut down like we've talked about. The prophecies in this house that, we, that have been prophesied to us by guests, by visitors, that the, the doors of this place would be blown off by the wind and the Spirit of God moving out. That we would have a harvest like we've never seen before. That, that, that the people who are at enmity and enmi uh, enemies of God would come home. That the prodigals would come home. That we would evangelize and power that we would operate in words of knowledge and words of wisdom 
I desire all of that. But actually, all of that is at stake if we don't have love. It's all at stake because we can have it and it not count. So without love, we're obnoxious, nothing. Listen, I, I know this isn't your conventional message on the love of God where it's like, you know, he loved, like he, and he does. The father is so passionate about his children. He, he's so passionate about us that he created us in the first, or in the first place. He's so, he's so loving and kind and wanted to give of himself to his children so much that even when he was satisfied before time started in and of himself in the communion of Father, Son, and Spirit, he said, I still want to. And even in his foreknowledge and even in his prescience of knowing that no matter what happens, if I create man, they're going to fall, he still chooses to create. And even knowing before all of that, that the requirement of the payment of sin and the fallenness of man would be the payment of his only son. And yet he still did it anyways. That's how great the father's love is. So it's not, it's, I, I know that like obnoxious, nothing and broke. I know it has an edge to it. Trust me. But this is the stuff that the Father has not let me get away from in my life because the truth is, if we don't have love, we're doing everything for the wrong motivation. We're doing everything to be seen. We're doing everything to build up ourselves, to be seen by men. And that's why if we don't move from fear to faith by the love of God, actually what happens is, is the fear of man and the fear of all this stuff that's underlying that isn't ever taken care of by the love of God actually becomes to be our twisted and corrupt motivation for doing all the things that we think God's called us to do. So let's keep reading because I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let's go to Ephesians 3. This is without love. We are number one, two, num, no, sorry. <laughs> number one, two. Without love, <laughs> without love, we are number one, obnoxious. Number two, we're nothing. Number three, we're broke. Ephesians 3, verse 14. This is Paul writing, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Don't you love Bible verses like that that don't make any sense? <laughs> hey, and to know the love which surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses being known? It's like by, by the Holy Spirit. right? Anyways, that's just a sidebar for you guys. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Listen, I just want to give, I want to give credit to David Harwood. He's one of my ministry professors. And I, I, I would encourage you guys to, to find his book, God's True Love, and to read it. it is un I don't think it's on that shelf back there. If it's not, we should probably get it on there. It, it's, it changed my life as part of my journey. But... Uh, and this is one of the passages that he goes off of. And um, so number four, without love, we are unnourished. We're unnourished. And that you, this is verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. What do roots do? They provide nourishment for the plant. They provide stability for the plant. Roots don't stop growing. And a lot of plants, roots don't ever stop growing. In other words, we should never stop growing in the love of God. If we're not rooted in the love of God, if we're not deriving our nourishment from the soil of his love, we will become malnourished, we'll become uh, 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 unbalanced, we will become off, we will become unstable. And that's the second point is rooted and grounded. Number five is unstable and insecure. 
if we don't believe he loves us when the storms of life come, when the disappointments of life come, when the hardships come, actually, and all of those things are, are the things that are supposed to build our faith. James 1, consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance, and let and allow endurance to have its perfect work, that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen, if we're not rooted and grounded in the love of God, the things that will come to test us and to try us that are actually for us and for our maturation and for us to be mature and complete and lacking in nothing will actually begin to resist those things that are intended to build us up. Because we're, we're mistaking the discipline and the training and the pruning of God for rejection. Listen, if we don't have the love, if we're not rooted and grounded in the love of God, we will mistake conviction for condemnation. If we're not rooted and grounded in love, this is, Hebrew, this is Hebrews 12. It says that God, that it's because of his love and that he accepts us, that he disciplines us, that he reproves us. If, we do, if we're not rooted and grounded in the love of God, we will mistake the discipline of God and the correction of God for his rejection instead of his protection. As, an, as a man who has struggled with my orphan heart, right? We talk about the orphan heart here. What's the orphan heart? It's the, the fallen, broken part of us that is orphaned. And yet, when, when we're purchased by the blood of Jesus, we're given new identities, as sons and daughters. So we're no longer orphans. In reality and in truth, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And yet, just as the Israelites were taken out of Egypt, they had to have Egypt taken out of them. And so we have to, according to Philippians, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So even though I'm a son, I'm still in process. Even though I'm a son in truth, I have to come to grips with those orphan tendencies that I've learned and, and subconsciously learned for many years of my walk of life without Jesus that I have to be a, a, a fathered in. To be a son is to be fathered. To be a daughter is to be fathered. And as a father, I could tell you a lot of fathering is like redirection constantly. Like, hey, focus on eating your chicken. Like... <laughs> Hey, hey, Lydia, like, please focus. Hey, Bubby, like, hey, come back here. Like, Levi. It's like, it's constant redirection. It's constant training. It's constant discipline. It's constant, uh, 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 what, what, uh, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 12 called scourgings, which I believe are literally like spiritual spankings. I'm, people are going to not like me for talking about this, but it's like the Bible talks about in the natural spanking our children, not sparing the rod lest we hate our child. And I believe that our spiritual father, there are spiritual spankings. Jesus. Man, I'm touching something right now. Jesus. That's his love. That is his love. And this is an area where I believe love has been perverted. It's love without discipline. It's love without boundaries. It's love without expectations. Exactly, which Jill says, is, which is not love. Absolutely, that's not true love. It's love without boundaries. It's love without sacrifice. It's love without pain. It's love without wisdom. It's love that's not vulnerable. It's love that abuses grace, forgiveness, and patience. It's love that wants to be coddled and not corrected. Jesus, it's love that doesn't grow up. This is part of the per perverted or immature love. And so when I talk about God's discipline, I'm just going to go to Hebrews 12 so you guys can know that I'm not making this stuff up and what the discipline of God goes. Because, because listen, I don't think we talk about the love of God without talking about his discipline. Like if we have a true biblical understanding of correction and discipline and training up, we know that it's because and motivated by the Father's love for us. 
And so I had a vision one time, actually. The Lord is bringing this back to my mind. I had a vision one time where it's like discipline, correction, gentleness, uh, delight, pleasure, like um, uh, pruning, uh, uh, a romance and rebuke and all these things. And I saw like all these words. And then when all, like all the words started to like collide together. And when, when all those words started to collide together, it was the word love. And so we, we as human beings, we have to talk like intention of, the, of the, the father's love is his romance and his rebuke. The father's love is that he is pleased, but that he also prunes. The father's love is that he corrects, and yet he also comforts. The father's, the father's love is that he delights, and yet he, he disciplines. And so as human beings, because again, this is even proving my point and talking about it, but the orphan heart, that's the stuff that we wrestle through with. It's like, which one is it? That's the tension that we feel, but it's like, no, there's no tension in God. It's our, it's our misunderstanding and misperception of him that is confused. It's our misperception of him that creates all these, all these tensions. And a lot of it too is our earthly fathers and mothers that, that maybe lacked in certain areas or were too harsh in others that project then onto our heavenly father or our own dysfunction that pro projects my voice of self-contempt and self-hatred onto him of like, you know, God's displeased with me and he doesn't like me and he doesn't want me and he, do and he rejects. No, it's like, that's all trash. We project all of that onto him. And so the point is, is that all of these things that we're talking about, these tensions that we feel, his romance and his rebuke, that's all his love. It's all his love. And, and like we have to get it settled in our heart. And when we don't know that he's for us, again, we take all of these things the wrong way. We misperceive conviction for condemnation and we misperceive correction for rejection when it's actually our protection. So um, Hebrews 12, I'll just read it real quick so you guys can see. This is really, honestly, Hebrews 12. This is actually a, a message in and of itself. Man, I love the word of God. I love it because it has a way of cutting through the crap. Sorry for any young ears in here that that's, the word's not allowed in, in the home. So, sorry. <laughs> that's what I get for being an unpolished preacher. I love the word of God because it has a tendency to cut through all the trash. It has, a, it has a tendency to cut through all the excuses. It has a tendency to go like on that nerve that we don't want to be pressed and it like presses it. And this is it right here. Hebrews 12 verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Or you have forgotten the encouragement which is addressed to you as sons. My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. I love this encouragement because that's the very thing we all tend to do when correction and discipline comes. We either, to, we either tend to play games with God and start denying and rationalizing everything like, oh, it's not so bad, it's all good, I'll just, you know, uh, for, you know his mercies are new every morning, I'll sleep on it, wake up, I'm good. And that's how we, honestly, that's how we stay surface level and shallow in our faith. This is, guys, this is all stuff that God has confronted me with directly. This message came out of my own journal and, and wrestling with the Lord and with the word and with truth. Please hear me. This is not a, a message at, this is a message, hey guys, come along. Like we, we all need this. But the truth is, is that this is the tendency that we all have. We all tend to either play games with God when he wants to discipline us or we tend to, what does it say? Faint. We either take it lightly or we become discouraged and depressed. Literally, that's what the word means. It's like it takes the heart out of us because we misperceive and we, we don't forget the encouragement. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll finish the encouragement in verse 6. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So we have a tendency to forget that it's because of his love and acceptance for us that he disciplines us. And we have a tendency and a bent to either take it lightly or to become discouraged. Like, my gosh, like, you know, 
I suck. Like, I can't get off. Like, that, if you guys haven't been able to tell, that's been a big narrative of, of shame and self-contempt in my life is I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm not going to make it in life. I can't do anything. I can't accomplish anything. I'm going to be a failure and a loser all my life. Seriously, that's just me being transparent. But it's those narratives of shame that have to uh, 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 die out in the face of the love of God for us to be rooted and grounded. The Lord spoke to me one time and he said, when the voice of my love becomes louder than your insecurity, you'll walk in bold confidence. When the voice of my love becomes louder than your fear, you'll walk in bold confidence. When the voice of my love becomes louder than your shame and your self-contempt, you'll walk in bold confidence. We have to rewrite and re-understand our inner narrative that oftentimes is extremely self-conscious. It's so second nature to us that a lot of times it's like we don't even realize it. We don't even realize the lies we're believing and the things that we're thinking in our head and agreeing with them. Another great book on that shelf that's back there by David Harwood is Meditations of My Heart. He, he talks about the inner narrative of our lives and how actually our inner narrative can be pleasing before God's sight. And it comes from the Psalms that says, may the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your presence or be pleasing before you. So he, he unpacks the idea that we can actually please God with the way that we think in the meditations of our heart and also more specifically about ourselves about our sonship and our identity. Are you guys with me? So back to Hebrews 12. I don't even have Hebrews 12 in my notes, just so you guys know. This is not, this is not planned. Um, so his discipline, not to forget the encouragement, not to regard it lightly, not to be discouraged by when we're approved by him, because he does it for our love and for our acceptance. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure, for God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That's an intense Bible verse. If we actually don't experience the discipline of our Heavenly Father, it reveals we're not legitimate children. Furthermore, we all had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we were respected by them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. So he disciplines us because he loves us, because he accepts us, because he deals with us as sons. He does it for our good. And then the second part of this verse, so that we may share in his holiness. We may share in his holiness. The holiness and purity of God. I heard a definition of holiness that I'll never forget, and it's the absolute absence of moral and motivational evil combined with the absolute, abs- or absolute presence of moral and motivational goodness. That's unbelievable. That is our Father, His holiness, that He is completely morally and motivationally pure. And that the discipline of God, that He wants to share His holiness with us? Are you kidding me? That's unbelievable. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit. Of righteousness. Amen. Amen. This is the love of God. And this is a part of the love of God that has been perverted. That it's like that that love just enables and love tolerates. And love love deals with and, and, and holds in tension both our dignity and our depravity. Our dignity that we are created, Genesis 2, that we are created in the image and according to the likeness of God that is inherent and intrinsic in every human being. The image, the dignity, and yet it holds in tension the depravity that we are fallen, that we're sinful apart from Jesus. It's the juxtaposition of Psalm 139 where David is saying, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
and celebrating the image that he's created in and celebrating that he was, he was a forethought to God and not an afterthought, that before his days were one, before he was conceived in his mother's womb, that God had thought of him, that God had all of his days planned out. And it, juxt, it juxtaposes Psalm 139 of, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and your thoughts toward me, God, outweigh, outnumber the grain of sand on the earth. It juxtaposes your thoughts toward me have outnumbered the grain of sand on the earth. And then Psalm 51, right next to it. In sin, I was conceived in my mother's womb. Guys, this, this, some of this is the tension of the Bible. And I love this tension. I've learned to love the tension of the word of God because what I've learned about the tension of the word of God is that it keeps me dependent on him. If I'm ever out of the tension, it reveals that I have it all figured out and it reveals I'm living independent and I'm walking in pride. It reveals that I don't need him. We don't like tension, but we can take heart in all the stuff that we feel tension in. God is perfectly at peace. God is not at tension within himself. I don't even know where I am right now. I'm in Avon, Indiana at our father's house. I'm preaching the word of God. That's where I am. <laughs> okay I, uh, I got way off track I was in Ephesians 3 I'll just finish these 7 points so you guys have them without love number, five, number 4 was unnourished number 5 was unstable and insecure that comes from us being rooted and grounded number 6 also comes from Ephesians that we would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled up to all the fullness of God. That without the love of God, we're not being filled up to all the fullness of God. We, listen, again, I, I feel it so strongly that I feel like in the body of Christ, the love of God just becomes this cliche. It becomes like this elementary and foundational thing that we don't want to continue on in. But it is so integral, it is so foundational that we see it right here in the scriptures that it is an ingredient and an important factor of us being filled up to all of his fullness. I think part of the reason we don't like the love of God is honestly because we would rather perform than receive. The only reason we love is because he first loved us. Growing in the love of God requires humility. It requires us to sit and to receive. And honestly, what that does for all of us who, like myself, are so performance and perfection oriented, which God has thankfully delivered me in large part from. I'm still a work in progress. But honestly, in the orphan heart, we don't like it because it takes away my ability to say I did anything. Because the love of God, you can't perform for it. But the love of God does give you the security to do great things. Amen? Are you guys with me? Number six, we're not being filled up to all the fullness of God. Number seven, without love, we are not fulfilling the law of Christ. Love is our aim. Love is our goal. Christ said that, and Paul wrote, that love sums up the entire law. What does that mean? If I love God, I'm not going to have idols before him. If I love my wife, I'm not going to cheat on her. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal from him. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to covet from him. It's simple. The, the, the love of God sums up the law. And this is important because in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, I'm just going to read it real quick. Without the love of God, we are not fulfilling the law of Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles or works of power? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice you who practice lawlessness. 
I believe one of the things here that is so key to why Jesus is saying none of this counts is because they were practicers of lawlessness and his law is love. They were doing and performing all of these things that were a part of, were, were devoid of intimacy. He didn't know them. And because they were devoid of intimacy and connection with their heavenly father, their motive for everything they were doing is completely off. This is just my opinion on this verse. This is part of what I believe this verse means. And so if we don't have the love of God, we're not fulfilling the law of Christ. Love is our aim. Love is our goal. Love is the chief exemplary part that makes us mature in God. It's not how much we can prophesy. It's not how great we can preach. It's not how many demons we cast out. Do I love my neighbor? Do I love them? All that stuff from, he, uh, from 1 Corinthians 12, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, where there's prophecy, where there's knowledge, it, it says it's, uh, Paul says it's all going to pass away. We won't need all that stuff in the kingdom coming. He said these three abide. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. And, the, and love is the greatest. So I think that we need to get real with the love of God. I believe the love of God is why we don't, aren't more freed up in our lives to do the things he's called us to do. Because we're so full of dysfunction and fear and shame and all the stuff that I've talked about at nauseum. You guys are probably like, shut up already. Like, we get it. No, but it's, listen, without his love, I'm telling you, this is like the greatest thing that I've wrestled with in my life. Because I've known all the time being a believer that God loves me. But, it's, but what we truly believe isn't measured by what we know. It's measured by what we walk in. And so if I live my life and walk and think and feel and speak and act like an orphan, it reveals that I don't actually believe the love of God because I haven't received it for my life and I haven't allowed it to transform my heart. So I want to close with just this. I want, I want to close from some scriptures because, again, I know this isn't your typical message on the love of God. I realize it has an edge to it, but I, I also want to to read these verses and unpack the Father's heart for us and his love for us. Because, he, because here's the issue. The issue is never with his love. The issue is always, if we're, to use prophetically as an example, the parable of the sower. There was nothing wrong with the seed that was sown. The issue was the soil of the hearts that it was sown in. And so there's, not, there's, there's never, a, so in other words, we don't have our way with the love of God. We allow his love to have our way with us. And we do that by receiving it. And we have to learn, one of the, the biggest things in my life that I've struggled with is sitting in something long enough, is practicing meditation. We're great at speed reading. We're great at checking off check boxes in our culture. Our culture is so fast paced. We have too much knowledge. We know too much to our detriment. And one of the biggest failures of my life in my spiritual formation or maturation, whatever you want to call it, is not being still enough. Not meditating enough and sitting in something. The Lord spoke to me one time and said, slow is fast for you. And maybe you guys can all receive that for a word if it resonates for yourself. But there's so many kingdom paradoxes upside down statements the last is first he who wants to be greatest has to be least and serve right there's a lot of different uh, kingdom tensions and reversals and one of them that the father spoke to me is slow is fast so we cultivate the love of God in our lives I believe by taking the word of God and, and, and receiving it and wrestling with it and praying and meditating. Father, would you reveal what this means to me? Because that's something the Apostle Paul did. I believe it's in Galatians. He said, Christ, who gave himself up for me. He personalized the cross. Yes, we know from John 3, 16 that he gave himself up for the world, but Paul took it a step further and he personalized it for himself. No, Jesus, you died for me. And so we cultivate love and a depth of love and relationship in our life 
through the word. This is, I mean, this is, this, is, this is not rocket science, guys. Bible, prayer, journal, worship, receive and believe. We got to get in the word of God. Let me, let me just read this. Let me read these scriptures to us. If you need to close your eyes to receive this, these are, just, these are verses on the love of God. See how great a love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. 1 John 3, 1. The greatness of his love that he, that he has lavished on us that we, that we would be called his sons and daughters that, that in John chapter 1, that we're born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but, but of the will of God. That we are born because he wanted us, because he chose us, because he created us and redeemed us. 1 John 3.16. Yeah, there's John 3.16. There's also 1 John 3.16. We know love by this. We know love by this. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We don't have to be confused whether God loves us or not. We know he loves us by this, that he died for us. 1 John 4, 7 through 10. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. You guys, I have to interject this. God is love. God is love. Jesus Christ is the full manifestation and an expression and embodiment of love that came to earth, correct? Are we being conformed and transformed to the image of God? Is God love? Part of our transformation and our walk with God is that we are becoming quote unquote becoming love I'm not this is not some weird hyper spiritual statement it's God is love we're being conformed to the image of Christ in a sense our character and our nature part of our transformation is that we're becoming like him we're becoming like love we should always be growing in love I've said it a million times I'll say it again I didn't even finish the verse because God is love by this the lot of the love of God is manifested in us that God has sent his one and only son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Mm. Romans 5, verse 8. I love this language. This is the CSB translation. But God proves his own love for us that in, that in while we were still sinners Christ died for us how much more than since we have now been justified by his blood will be saved through him from wrath for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life God has proven his love for us to question his love for us, that he's for us, is to actually to, to, to go against logic in Scripture. That he has proven it by the cross. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life is not future. It, is, it includes future, but eternal life is now. Why? Because Jesus said, what is eternal life? That you may know me. What is that? John 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. 17. Come on, there we go. We've got some better Bible scholars than me in this room. Hallelujah. For God so loved the world. Listen. Oh, parents in the room. I had an encounter with my son when he was a newborn. He was, I was holding him, and I, my, my heart was just overwhelmed and stirred with love for him. It's like you have a baby and like it's just innately and that's exactly, you know, the Bible says, if though you being evil, how much more your heavenly father. 
So we experience things like that in this world where we have a, an infant and we're like, our hearts are like, we're undone. We're a wreck. We're a mess. The whole, like when you have a baby, like it's like the whole world stops. It's like nothing matters. Like time stops. And I was holding my son and I, I felt like, I, and I was overwhelmed by love for him, but I felt like the father said and re- made me realize and see like, and imagine having a love so great for another that you'd be willing to give up your son for them. Guys, I was weeping this morning, preparing. That the Father loves us that much? How many of us love people that much? How many of us have a love so much that we would give up our own children for somebody? That's the love of the Father for us. It's crazy. It, 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 it doesn't make any sense. And this is the stuff that I have to wrestle with because I believe the, word spoke, the Lord spoke to me one time and I believe he said, it's love that awakens faith, yet it takes faith to deepen love. And what he was teaching me and, and, and what he was meaning by that is that for God so loves the world that his initiation and his love for us is so great that it stirs up a faith in us that like, my gosh, you love me that much, but his love is also so unbelievable and so mind-boggling and so big and so wide and so infinite that it's like, it takes faith to believe it. It takes faith to receive that for myself, knowing my baggage, knowing my brokenness. It takes faith to deepen it. So we have to take these scriptures, John 17. For you love, wait, hold on, where is this at? Come on, Ben, get it together. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. These are the kind of Bible verses that like I read and I'm like, that can't be true. I'm just being honest with you. That this Bible verse tells me that the heavenly father loves me as much as he loves Jesus Christ. That takes faith. But these are the scriptures, guys. These are the things that, 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 that we have to take into our hearts, that we have to cultivate. We all know these scriptures but we need to sit in them. We need to marinate in them. We need to meditate on them. We need to allow the Spirit of God as we're sitting before our Bibles and we have our journals open and our pens ready, we say, God, would you show me the greatness of your love toward me? God, would you speak to me and reveal to me personally like Paul did when he took the cross personally? Would you make this personal for me? Would you nourish my heart in your love? Would you ground my life in your love? Jerrica, would you come up on the piano? I want to I want to do an altar call. I I believe that there is a, a a fresh anointing for for us to encounter the love of God this morning. Oh Jesus. And if you're saying I know, I've seen and I've tasted. Well, don't you want to taste a little bit more? Don't you want to see a little bit more? Don't you want to be just a little bit more undone? Don't we want to be just a little bit more undignified? Don't we want to be just a little bit more lovesick? Don't we want to be just a little bit more hungry? Don't we want to be just a little bit more secure in our Father's arms? So I want to invite you, if you want a fresh touch, if you have wrestled with the love of God in your life like I have, if you have wrestled with feeling lovable or receiving His love, or if you simply just want a fresh touch, if you simply just want a deeper rooting, I want to invite you guys to come forward again. I believe that there's something the Lord is going to minister to him as we open up our hearts to him this morning and receive.
Father, we know that you love us. We know that your love is infinite. And yet we look at our lives, God, and there seems to be a disconnect. Father God, would you deepen this thing in our heart, Lord? Would you come and touch us afresh? Would you reveal the greatness of your love to us? Would you change us and transform us, God? We need you, Lord. Help us not to be bored with your love, God. Help us not to say in our hearts, yeah, I know God loves me. What's next? Help your love not to be cliche to us. Help us not to be numb to your love, God. I believe by the Spirit of the Lord to the degree that we're unmoved by the love of God is to the degree that we really don't know it. Father God, would you deepen it this morning? Would you take us deeper? Would you take us higher? Would you take us wider, God? Would you set us free this morning by the power of your love?